Hello, and welcome to Dig It. I'm Peter Brown, and hosting the show with me today is Chris Day. Hi, Chris. Hi, Peter. So, spring is on the horizon. Just a little bit, isn't it, Peter? Yeah. Have you seen any snowdrops yet? Mm. I mean, beginning of February, it's about time, isn't it? It is, yeah. Actually, this morning, just literally driving into to work uh, through uh, the little village of Padbury, just, just on the side when I was waiting at some traffic lights, there was a nice little clump looking amazing. Wow. Are yeah. they in flower yet? They're in flower, yeah. Lots and wow. lots of white droplets just Excellent. Yeah, okay, so spring is definitely oh, on the horizon. Yes, yeah. We better get on with the show then. Indeed. <laughs> so we can get out on. in the garden, yeah. <laughs> Indeed. And what's in the news at the moment then, Chris? Yep, so plenty of snowdrop gardens to visit and snowdrop day, uh, days ahead, uh, Peter, yeah. as well. Um, we mentioned last month uh, the wonderful British, uh, greatbritishgardens.co.uk website, and they've got a a really good uh, section on their website where you can find out where your local snowdrop uh, imp- walks, <laughs> walks are. are. Yeah, yeah. Where, yeah, so yeah, check that out. And obviously many of them are, are uh, gar- national gardens as well. So plenty to be going up with there. And then right at the beginning of, of February, uh, actually on the 2nd, we've got the uh, a talk by uh, Dr. Chris Thurgood, from, um, who's obviously over at... Uh, the wonderful botanical gardens over at Oxford, the Arboretum there. Yep. And he's going to be basically chasing plants. Okay. It's intriguing. So we'll put details on, on the uh, the show notes for that. Um, Saturday, the 4th of February, of course, it's our big event at the Garden Centre. Yeah, it's Grafton Grow Day, isn't mm. it? So if you need to see someone grafting an apple tree onto an apple tree, mm. or rather an apple stem onto a rootstock mm-hmm. is probably a better way of describing it. Yeah. <laughs> um, or any other fruit, actually, for that matter, with cherries or uh, plums. Okay, yeah. Yeah. come along and have a look at that mm-hmm. and talk to the experts. I'll be yeah. pleased to give you some tips. Indeed. So that between 10am t- and 4pm, and we'll be talking a little bit more about that in the in the podcast later, Peter. Okay. And then we've got, oh, this is this is good, this is good, and this has become a bit of a perennial favourite at the RHS Gardens at Wisley, the Houseplant Takeover. Right. So again, we'll talk about this a little bit later, but um, basically, it's it's just a, a big foray into into house plants, how they're displayed, and how to get the best from them. So we'll be talking about that in the news um, a little later, and then still on the the good old snowdrop theme, the yep. uh, the wonderful um, Nick Hamilton, yes, the son of the late and great Jeff Hamilton, right. uh, his gardens at uh, the wonderful. Um, Barnsdale. Yep. He's uh, offering a, a Thursday, the 16th of February, a winter and snowdrop walk, um, which includes breakfast and a guided walk. It's um, it's a ticketed event. And uh, yeah, he's got 9,000 snowdrops to look at as well. So wow. just a few. All that's quite a big swathe of white, I should imagine. Yes. And that's up near Rutland, isn't it? That's it. Rutland Water, isn't it? Yes. Yeah, so yeah. Leicestershire. Mm. Away, isn't it? Yeah. Love the gardens. And of course, I suspect that all the snowdrops are are dispersed over the many, many sort of demonstration gardens, which, of course, uh, Jeff Hamilton created for, for the TV many, many years ago. Mm, that'd be a good one to see then. Indeed. Okay, and then in the news this week, we've got Houseplant Heaven, the mm. RHS, uh, as we just mentioned, the mm. houseplants are taking over the greenhouses. They are, yes. Yeah. So they, they do this sort of annually now, Peter, and it's, it's about a month where they basically create a, a wonderful area within the, their, uh, their glass houses there to really demonstrate 
to give you inspiration on how you can display your houseplants at home. Okay. And this year they've used materials loaned from the Charleston Shipwreck Museum. Right. Uh, down in Cornwall. So it's got a very maritime sort of th- feeling to it. So... Again, awesome. putting plants, I suppose, in, you know, uh, lobster cages and uh, next to... Well, an old rowing boats by the look of it. Yeah. Indeed. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, it's, yeah, it is to give you, you know, some ideas and obviously help you, you know, gain some advice on actually growing these uh, these houseplants, which include orchids as well. So there'll be plenty to, to see. So if Well, they've got 3,000 orchids there. Mm. That should be a nice... Fantastic, colourful display, yeah. display, shouldn't it? Yeah, and I suspect they're not all moth orchids. There's going to be some more, <laughs> slightly rarer ones amongst those as well. So that happens, as I say, between, well, February through till the twelfth of March. So plenty of time to get down to RHS Wisley to uh, enjoy their uh, their really good uh, houseplant heaven. Excellent. And yeah, thinking about orchids, you'll be pleased to know I've got three orchids at home good. and all three are sending up a flower spike Fantastic. this year. That's good. So I've um, been trying to train them round right. onto the cane by you know, strapping them up with rubber bands and slowly right. pulling them over. Okay. We're nearly getting them there. So, That's yeah. good. That's encouraging. Are they those flowers just started this, this year? or No, no. It, I mean, yeah. one of them, I'm going to say, must be about 10 years old now. Oh, wow. And I've had it for... Quite a lot, yeah. Mm-hmm. And the other two I've had, I've collected over the last, I'd say, 10 years. So I've, they're, they're quite old, but generally... Mm. I tend to get two out of three of them flowering, mm, whereas okay. this year I've only got all three of them Number flowering. Three. So Excellent news. That's very good. happy with that. Good, good. And David Austin are, well, they're retiring some roses, aren't they, Chris? This is interesting. Really, yeah, a, a very interesting story. And I, I mean, I, I, did, I had to do a double take when I read this because the three varieties they're retiring are, are well, one of them certainly is a very popular variety. It was it was a popular variety when we, we used to stock roses of... of from David Austin a yep. few years ago, uh, Munstead Wood, uh, a Shropshire lad, and Lady Emma Hamilton are the three there retiring, and they're suggesting it's all to do with climate change. Yep. Well, I, I mean, it was a lovely ethos that David Austin had mm. when he started out his quest for mm. uh, roses and what have you, and he wanted to have the most beautiful and disease-free mm. roses, mm-hmm. and that's what they've been trying to of do. So I guess yeah. if the climate's no longer suitable in England for those roses, mm. maybe the best thing is to move and adapt to ones that are better. So And, and maybe in their breeding programme, they're going to look at sort of uh, extremes of, you know, summer heat. Obviously, the temperature yep. we had last year, you know, 40, 42 degrees, you know, uh, roses, can they be genetically they yeah, yeah. Uh, manipulated to withstand those temperatures in, in the new breeding programme? So maybe they'll, they'll revisit those varieties they're retiring in years to come and, and maybe give them a, you know, a genetic... Uh, boost, if yep. you like, to, to, to cope with that. But, uh, I mean, it's pretty endemic with what's been happening, obviously, this winter. I mean, I'm sure a lot of people can relate to the fact that we've it's been a harsh winter. We've lost a lot of tender plants um, because of the very low temperatures in, in December. So, yep. yeah. So, well, I mean, mm. that's it. It'll be a, it's a shame mm. when you see things like the... Fatsy hedras, is that the right name for them? Yeah, we've Fatsias. Fatsias, they, they were certainly caught, but yeah, formiums and of course the cabbage palms, you know, the, the, the torbay palms, the cordelines, yep. they've been hit very badly. I know we've had a lot of customers coming into the garden centre with their tails of woe with photographs saying, is it going to recover? Um, who knows? Because obviously, what happens with a lot of plants is the tips of the plants go, the, you know, the crown, but yep. actually follow the stem back. Often they will re sprout, and we'll probably find out this mm. spring 
whether that actually happens. I hope so, because I've got... So if you've got some that mm. have are looking decidedly worse for, yeah. for wear, just leave, leave them, them for be. another yeah. couple of months and yeah. see. Because yeah. I know I had a cord line in um, my house in Northampton and mm. Cyril Street, and that yeah, no, one mm. year totally died off mm-hmm. um, in the winter, and then it's yeah. re-sprouted, and it's now got two heads on it, as it were, so it's doubled up, so it's twice as strong, and it's still going. That's good, yeah, that's the thing. Nature will find a way if there's there's possibilities of regrowth. That's it. Yep, and also um, another another story, uh, this time a little bit further north at uh, the Royal Botanic Gardens at Edinburgh, the revamp of the Royal Memorial Garden, which is the uh, uh, the, the late Queen Mother's uh, Garden, again, um, being changed because of changing... (laughs) conditions and obviously and the climate. The climate as well um okay. yeah so hopefully that will have a, a revamp and it doesn't actually say in the news report when it's going to be completed but obviously they're on the case this year to, to get it all in in place and uh, so this is to do with the lack of rainfall isn't it yes so and the extremes, the, it's, yeah. it's scotland's drying mm. out mm. yes so it's going to be including lots of things. But, oh, yes, it's, it's the full redesign is scheduled to be completed by the autumn, so something to look forward to there. But, uh, yeah, a, a lot of a lot of interesting plants will go in there. And, of course, a lot of the plants in that area are obviously related to the amount of uh, peat in the soil as well. So they're quite specific plants yep. in, in that particular garden. Well, let's hope they don't have to you know, bring any compost in. That's, well, um... <laughs> they're going to have problems there, aren't they? <laughs> Definitely. Good stuff. And the RHS has expanded the number of partner gardens it mm. has on its list, isn't it? So how's that work, Chris? Yeah, so if you're a member of the RHS, you get the opportunity of, of going uh, with using your, your, your ticket, your membership card, to access other gardens. So they've increased it by 18, uh, which brings up to a total of, I think, 221 gardens now are partners. Excellent. So, so it's good value if you're a member, then you, you know, there's plenty of uh, opportunities to go and visit these, these other gardens as well. And yeah, they've included you know like the the wonderful white garden at Sissinghurst, which I've, I've been there to a couple of times. That's amazing, um, right? And uh, they also highlight uh, the the um, the Powers Castle gardens too, which are are pretty good too. So really, yeah, it's just a you know it helps your membership. Of course, when you, you're paying out a rather large amount of money each year, it's getting mm. better value, isn't it? Really? Well, that's good. Yeah, and diversifies what mm. you can go and have a look at, and so Indeed. it brings yeah. you into contact with some other even more ideas. Mm, lots of them. Brilliant. And I see the prisoners of Thorncross Men's Prison, which is a open prison and young offenders institution in Warrington, Cheshire have won this year's Windlesham Trophy for mm. creative gardening efforts. It's, yeah. it's a nice story, isn't it? It I mean, is, it's yeah. Actually the, they're, they're finding out that actually mental health of the prisoners massively improves when they get to go out and do some gardening, which mm-hmm. is nice. And obviously, for, didn't Layhill, they, 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 they won did a award. Few, yeah, so that was probably yeah, 10, 20 years ago. They were very much involved in, I think, the Chelsea Flash or the Hampton Court Flower Show. Okay, yeah. And uh, they brought that to the public, you know, the fact that uh, the creative side of uh, of being in a prison means that you can obviously, you know, channel your energies into, you know, horticultural uh, prestige, really. They, mm. they did very, very well. But the, the garden they created, Peter, uh, was called a Rehabil- Re- Rehabilitation River. Right. And uh, it represents the journey of offenders giving the message of hope and opportunity for a brighter future. So they used Brilliant. Mediterranean plants. Um, yeah, they used a, a wide range of palms, and they also used perennials as well to, to create their, their feature. 
and mm. uh, yeah, I think it's it's to be uh, you know to be applauded really. It's really good, isn't it, that uh, this this can be happening? And obviously, this uh, Windlesham Trophy is a, is a regular, um, yeah, uh, which is obviously awarded each year, which is which is great. So well done to uh, to the the Young Offenders facility there. Well, yeah, that's it, and it does prove that gardening is good for you, doesn't it? I mean, Indeed. Like, yeah, everyone benefits from getting out and doing some digging and mm. <laughs> hard work in the garden. Indeed. Another favourite topic of mine, bees. Mm. Petal fat and patterns found to attract bees. Yeah, so this, this is mostly from, this is uh, this time from the, the scientists at Cambridge University, they've discovered that through uh, indicating optical effects, which obviously you can see through human eyes, um, there's obviously certain visions can be seen um, and guide um, insects to flowers differently to us. So yeah, yeah quite a different way of, uh, of a vision. And uh, yeah, they'd used um, an attractive Australian garden annual, um, the mallow uh, hibiscus, because um, yep. that's got a very large flower, so I can understand that. And obviously they did a few tests. And uh, obviously, and I always thought, uh, Peter, that I think some... Some flowers and some foliage can act almost like a, a landing, you know, landing like strip lights, sort yeah, of yeah. a landing sort of to, to guide the the insect towards the flower or to the to the pollination part of the the sugars. Definitely, of the and mm. I think the fact that animals and obviously bees see colours totally different. Mm. I mean, you're talking about the iridescent mm. um, uh, colours of flowers. When we look at them, they might be yellow, but to other animals, they might be sort of bright red or Indeed, something like yeah, that in so, effect. Yeah. And it, mm-hmm. It's fascinating. And like you say, sort of the fact that the smells they give off and the mm-hmm. time they open, like flowers are very time sensitive and they open at certain times to attract the bees at certain oh, different times yes. of the, yeah. the day. And you think yeah. like, uh, so no, it's, it's a fascinating mm-hmm. subject. Mm-hmm. Brilliant. And there's a new law that's going to help protect our woodlands and some sort of historical trees, isn't there? That's yeah, nice that's, re- yeah, it was announced, uh, well, it's been, it was announced uh, last month, Peter, wasn't it? It's for, obviously through the Forestry Commission and DEFRA. And uh, yep. basically they're just tightening up on, on the process of, of cutting trees down, perhaps on, on land which might not be yours, but you need to make sure you've got the right things in place before you do it. Well, I think that's it. I mean, yeah. you're talking about sort of where woodlands can be felled for commercial gain. Hist- mm-hmm. Woodlands historically have been felled for commercial gain. And um, mm-hmm. interesting reading that £15,000 was the largest fine uh, issued for a oak tree that was felled in Howsham, Sussex. Mm. And that dated from 1250. And you yeah. think, well, that's a really old tree. It's yes. such a shame. And £15,000 fine for a mm-hmm. property developer who then puts a house on it that's going to sell for an awful lot more profit True. than that. It, 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 it makes mm. sense that they're making this the unlimited fine so it actually can reflect the mm-hmm. true value of what the trees are actually worth indeed and i suppose at the moment obviously we're still in the uh, the green canopy of, of planting trees so this is a, a counter balance that we're, we're planting more trees but actually the ones we have we need to be preserving as well and mm, uh, yeah definitely and well there's tree preservation orders mm, aren't there, there are, which yeah. are yeah, quite when different. people sort of look after special trees mm, as it were and uh, you, you hope that yeah. Those sort of trees don't get felled by mm. housing developers or <laughs> what have you. But <laughs> I guess sometimes it happens and this will mm. hopefully 
makes them think twice before they do yeah. it. Yeah, and I think anecdotally, I think Peter, if you're getting, if you have got a tree which needs to come down in your garden, you know, you know, seek proper professional advice. You know, contact the. I mean, the Arboricultural Association are really good. They've got a really good website. We get a lot of people that go on centre here, you know, yep. wanting advice on good uh, tree surgeons um, who will know the law and they'll know what what they've got to do and what they need to check. Before they, you know, they take that large tree out of the of the garden. You know, it might be yep. diseased. It might have, um, you know, ash dieback or, or some other nasty disease. But uh, yeah, follow the right procedures. Um, certainly, otherwise you might find you you're going to be hit by a fine as well. Definitely. And I see the new tea grower mm. in the marketplace now. I, I was really surprised by this. I mean. When I heard there was a tea grower down in Tregotham mm. in sort of Cornwall, mm. I was like, mm, I'd always imagine that tea grew in sort of warm yes. countries like India and Sri Lanka, but mm. apparently, no, it'll no. grow in England. And yeah. where's this new one popped up then, Chris? So this is actually up in Scotland, Peter. Right. right. Yeah, the top. Yeah, and obviously they've been battling the weather conditions because obviously it's um, it's unpredictable in that part of the world, and obviously they've got quite a short growing season. Or have they with global warming? Who knows? In the future, that mm. could be changed. But uh, yeah, I mean, they it's a it's a group of women who've basically. Um, produced this wonderful blend and it's now being sold to what what they describe as high-end london establishments well, i see fortnum and mason have got well, their hands on it and yeah 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 i mean that's the sort of place you want to sell mm. your finest quality tea so yeah what, what, I, what, I, I don't know i wonder what it tastes like It'd I, be interesting. I don't know yeah well it's uh, it is a black tea and it's described well it's called nine ladies dancing which is a great name mm, it's slightly, slightly different from your, your, your tetley's and your yorkshire tea isn't it <laughs> certainly Definitely. but uh, but yeah they um they're obviously they yeah they're obviously working on this to to develop it as a as a big you know viable business which is which is great news. Well, I mean, we've got English vineyards, we've mm. got English tea yes. houses. That's yeah. brilliant, now, isn't now, it? Now with a Scottish flavour. Yes. Yeah. And as it's the early part of the year, we always like to propose what's going to be mm. trendy and upcoming, don't we, Chris? We so, do. As with so many other subjects, this is... Um, it's a bit speculative and subjective, but some of the things we've picked up on that I think are more than likely going to be true mm. is um things like the society of garden designers um they're predicting that new gardens are going to be environmentally friendly to the core and not just as a style trend i mean we've seen that now mm. certainly for the last year or so certainly with um chelsea flower Most show definitely. a lot of yes. the mm-hmm. award-winning gardens there were without a doubt yeah. far more aimed at the sort of urban gardener and mm-hmm. the recycled products and i i think it's a very good thing and i know yeah more, more naturalistic more native planting um yep. stripped down gardening in a way isn't it getting to the core of what what actually works and what will work for for somebody designing a garden for the, for maybe for, for global warming as well perhaps that needs to be sort of factored in as we we, we talk about uh, the issues with with plants and how they're going to survive yeah, and obviously the wildlife-friendly things mm, as well. Most definitely, they're, yes. They're always in the news at the moment, aren't yeah, they? And yeah. I think that's, again, a very sensible thing to mm. try and... I, I mean, uh, I, I'm seriously considering this idea of wilding my lawn. Are you? And okay. letting it grow some more dandelions this <laughs> year. I think I might, I might do well with that. Yes, yeah, forget no more May, just, just, just 
Yeah, we, just we, grow dandelions and weeds yeah. in your lawn. But they're not weeds now. That's <laughs> no, the best we thing. We can't They've call been, them weeds. No. no, they've just been recategorized. They're now... They're beneficial plants. That's yes. it. <laughs> <laughs> For the wildlife. <laughs> that's it. And some of the other predictions, uh, Peter, this, um, as they've come up, I mean, about houseplants, they're suggesting that we've obviously with... Uh, as with global warming and, and global climate, and obviously the, the energy crisis, we're 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 dialing down our our homes. So yeah, yeah, coo- turning the temperature down uh, in the yeah. home. So cool the house plants, basically. So that's okay. going to be interesting, and something we've we've been looking at at the garden centre here. To be honest with you, you know the likes of a lot of the, a lot of the palms are quite tough. Um, obviously, things like uh, the peace lily is another yep. quite quite good good plant, and obviously. We've had in things like Fatsia japonica, the, the castor oil plant, which used to be a, an outdoor plant, but now we grow it indoors, or we it used to be an indoors, but now we grow it outside. Yep. It's, it, it loves those sort of conditions. So I think that's a good 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 benefit, really. And there's even talk about introducing a couple of different varieties of orchids as well, which are a bit more resilient to, to cooler temperatures. Okay, so am I going to be able to grow a date palm next year then, Chris? Do you think... Mm, uh, still a bit uh, too cold for I, that. I or? think a date palm definitely is a house plant in a nice sunny location, but no, I think uh, I think the, the winter might uh, not that might not do it too good. That's it. And green landscaping, or what I know is hard landscaping. Mm. They reckon that's going to sort of be slightly less popular, but things like sort of green walls or living walls, mm-hmm. um, hedging and swimming ponds yes. are all meant to be increasing in popularity. Which is brilliant. I, I mean, I, I first came across swimming ponds, i say 10, 15 years ago, when the pump manufacturer Oazi um, bought out a whole range of filtration and mm-hmm. pumps specifically designed for swimming ponds. And I think it's a great idea. Fantastic idea. Yeah. So much more natural than the sort of rectangular blue mm. swimming pool that some people are lucky enough to have, have in their gardens. Indeed. A swimming pond is a much more mm. elegant, I think, yeah. and naturalistic sort of swimming pond. Totally, yes. No, it sounds really, really good. And uh, and the fact that hedges are on the list there as well yep, is, is good. Yeah, always good. Yeah, I mean, I was doing, um, I was doing a costing at home, actually, because our, 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 uh, our fence line between our neighbours has, has, has come down, it's succumbed to the winter. Death. And the cost of putting a hedge in to... Putting in a, a new, new proper, you know, six foot head uh, fence line. Fence panels, yeah, yeah. yeah, it's you know, it's it's massive. It's going to be twelve hundred pounds rather than you know four hundred pounds. So hedging is cheaper than hedging fencing. Cheaper. Yes, yeah. Uh, I, I was amazed the other day when I was walking around our streets, mm-hmm. and uh, there was, I'm fairly certain, a flock of sparrows mm. in a hedge. Yeah, and I was like. Where is all that noise coming from? <laughs> and it was mm. this little bunch of sparrows cheeping away, and mm. yeah, they were having a great time and, and make, making a good old racket. But it was <laughs> lovely to hear them because I mean, sparrows are not that common these days, are they? That's and, true, not to what they used to be. That's and, very true. Yeah, yes. so I, I was really pleased to see that. And yeah, that's in a little privet hedge, which mm. nice, neat, formal hedge, but mm. equally. Yeah. Obviously, a good place for birds to hide in the winter. Perfect, yeah, and obviously, a lot of them have really good sound reduction as well. If you go for a nice, uh, you know, laurel hedge, that's really good at yeah. redu- redu- buffering sound levels. If you're near okay. a roadway or a, you know a motorway, yeah. perfect way of keeping uh, sound reduction down. So it's a good idea, and yeah. also, I mm. suppose, in fact, they're cheaper and mm. they don't get blown over too often. I that's mean, hedges tr- don't get blown over as they, much as fence panels, do they? They, they filter <laughs> the they, they filter the wind rather. Yeah, they slow it yeah, down. They do. Yeah. So. Uh, and as we're in the you know the bare root season now is a really good time to 
to be thinking about putting that purchase in if you're going to be putting a new hedge line in. So, yeah, yeah, good point. Well, I was really interested to see Q Sciences spotlighted 10 species of plants and fungi that are new to science in mm. 2022. I mean, you'd think we don't, we've discovered all the plants and flowers on this planet by now, but no, we haven't. No, no, there's still many to be found. And this is one really, um, when, I was, when I was doing a bit of investigation, Peter, it's, you have to go, well, we'll put the link on here, but to have a look at the press release, because it has the wonderful photographs of these these plants, because obviously they are yep. very rare. Okay. Um, but yes, the uh, Her Majesty the Queen Elizabeth II, the Queen's Hedgehog, um, fungi, which yeah, she's had a new mushroom fungus <laughs> named after Indeed, her. Indeed, yeah, yeah, and again, very specific. It's obviously found in a, an ancient beech forest down in uh, White Down in Surrey. Um, okay, but there's there are others as well. There's, there's this Turkish winter uh, daffodil, Stembergia, which yep. people will know the name Stembergia because it's a, you know Stembergias are a popular um, we, we, we I think we sell at the garden centre here. But this one produces non-opening flowers, so. Quite okay. different to your normal. So not very good for sort of nice yellow displays of daffodils. Then isn't <laughs> the flowers never open? Keep to your King Alfreds, I think there, Peter. But uh, yeah, I mean, there's obviously those are just two, but the, the other eight are equally as amazing. With amazing, obviously Latin names, which are pretty un. But yeah, good good on cue to, to keep bringing these these plants to the fore. Mm. So the NGS has made their biggest charity donation ever. Mm, back in yes, obviously twenty twenty two, they donated an amazing uh, three point eleven million pounds to health charities, which is mm. amazing, isn't it? Absolutely phenomenal. Well, the National Garden Scheme it is a, mm. such a brilliant sort of day out, isn't it? I love it is. going around and looking at the neighbours' gardens. And... Indeed, it's, it's it's fantastic, and they they do lots of other things as well. Does the NGS? Um, they've also they provide uh, community uh, garden grants, which are are given out anything between five hundred and five thousand pounds. So, okay. again, it's another way of, of community gardens getting involved and, and obviously you know benefiting from that uh, that pot of money, which has obviously been generated by good pe- good gardeners or non gardeners visiting gardens, which I think is uh, is amazing. But uh, that sort of brings us on, Peter, to. Uh, there's over 203 gardens are going to be opening across the the UK last month and this month under the the gardens national garden scheme um, as we return to uh, you know going back to our gardens again and yep. enjoying them and I suppose that neatly brings us on to our our guest next month. Okay, who we got coming in next month? Then? Well, we have uh, George Plumtree. Um, he's oh, wow. he's the chief executive of the national garden scheme. Brilliant. And um, and for over a decade, he's he's led this amazing charity, which obviously is, is tirelessly raised all these millions of pounds for obviously a wide range of health charities. And uh, yep. yeah, as we we agreed, the NGS is amazing, and and it is so quintessentially British, isn't it? Uh, in the scheme of things, so we really mm. look forward to to speaking to George and finding out about this, and of course his own garden uh, on on Diggit. Brilliant. A bit later on this month. Cool. Now, Chris, earlier we mentioned Grafton Grow Day as mm. one of the events on. That's the 4th of February, isn't it? It is indeed. And we've got celebrity television presenter, ex-television presenter coming to join us this year, haven't we? We have indeed. Yeah, so this is all part of, obviously, Garden Organics, which is on our charity of the year for yep. 2023. And Chris Collins, uh, yeah, ex-BBC Blue Peter presenter, no less. 
Yeah. He is actively involved in Garden Organics and he'll be, okay. jo- and he'll be joining us through Craft uh, and Grow Day. Fantastic. And we're going to have a little, um, for those of you who haven't ever been to Graft and Grow Day, we've got Steve now just about to tell us all about what it is they get up to. That's correct. Welcome, Steve. And uh, before we chat about our Graft and Grow Day on the, the 4th of February, which we're really excited about, um, perhaps we need to ask you about the work you do for the People's Trust of, for Endangered Species. Hi. Um, uh, yeah, so I've been working there for oh, about 15 years now. It, it started off as uh, a mapping project to locate the traditional orchard because they'd been registered as a, a priority habitat and we need, so we need to know where they were. So um, on behalf of uh, Natural England, we did a big project to, to map them all using aerial photographs and, and their GIS, geographical information system tools, um, to create this, this what's called the priority habitat inventory, which is available on, on, on the Magic, Shepherd Magic website online. Um, so I'm still doing quite a lot of, mapping work, um, but um, the project itself, the Listen Orchard project, um, has expanded to include a whole range of tasks from helping people set up community orchards, uh, trying to save orchards and development, um, and um, providing a general sort of advice service to the public. There are lots of random inquiries coming in for me, so we're national, so you know, it's not just one, one area, so I can know about orchards in Wales and Scotland and everything, yeah. Um, also, the Secretary of the Orchard Network. Um, that's an umbrella group for um, organisations with interest in anything orchardy across the British Isles. Um, we've got our fingers in all sorts of pies. We're developing um, uh, an altered environmental standard, which is kind of like a, a, a mark of, um, <clears throat> of, of a quality of, of growing, which is distinct from anything that's like remotely intensive, um, which is very, very similar to, to the actual traditional altered model. Um, and the, the we're working with new development areas around agroforestry. Um, we've got a City of London project, um, funded project, which is looking into Manistel Westeros and Domestica hybridisation. Um, and uh, we, we plan to produce, produce webinars, um, and we've got a, the, the big project is uh, lottery funded um, called uh, Orchard Trusting Day. Um, so we're, we're aiming to, well, we're, we're introducing this new celebration, which is to give growers an opportunity to, to showcase products and to engage the public in, in, in local orchards and to promote wellbeing. Mm-hmm. Very diverse then, Steve. Yeah, yeah, all sorts of different things going on, yeah. And, uh, well, I suppose talking about orchards, that obviously brings on us to our event at the Garden Centre, But and you're going to be coming along on the Saturday sharing your grafting skills. And I suppose um, my question really is, how, how did you get into grafting? Um, before I worked at PTS, I did a little stint at um, Brogdale. Um, and it was it was just uh, being paid to do a bit of work um, collecting farmwood, which went on to be propagated to, to various sources uh, across the country. Um, and so I was, I was taking this country to cuttings, and, and they were getting sent off 
Frank Matthews this afternoon. Um, and, and it just piqued my interest. I, I, I just finished um, an environmental sciences degree, and 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 so it was you know, working in horticulture and, and, and wildlife was, was what I, I wanted to do. And of course, you know, I, I like food, um, and it all came together. You know, so I was like, we've got got everything in orchards. We've got food and wildlife, and yeah, you know, outside work, and 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 so yeah, it's like it was a, a, a natural fit for me. Brilliant, good stuff. And just picking up there on sort of some of the words you're using, Steve, um, you mentioned cyan wood, and obviously then the other part of grafting is, I guess, is it a branch or a root or a root stock? I mean, can you talk us through in simple terms for the, for the idiot like me what um, <laughs> all these wonderful words mean? No, no stupid questions. Um, so, so um, when when you want to create a new tree of a particular variety of fruit, because fruit trees are um, every single pip grows a new variety. So, if we get a good one that we want to propagate, we have to take cuttings from the trees and put them on a new root system. Right. So okay. We just take we just take the Normally, normally the last year's growth, and we just get a nice sort of fairly sturdy piece that's grown quite well in the previous year. Can be six, eight, twelve inches long. Whatever good material can be found, and then that can be grafted on the grafter's rose onto a new root stock, which you then put in the ground and it grows into a new tree. If you can't find any good year wood from from last year's growth, you can get away with using two or three year old wood but as long as it's a nice clean system uh, um, section uh, of wood with some buds on it that should take mm. so i guess for our listeners if you know anyone with a apple that you've eaten off their tree um, and you fancy growing that one yourself go and ask them for a little section of um, branch and bring that in and then Steve, Steve can graft it onto a new rootstock and you can have your own tree. Yeah, absolutely. And it doesn't matter if you know what the variety is called or not, or if it's even a, a tree growing on the, the side of the road that's grown up from a step. If mm. you like it, we can graft it for you. Brilliant. And can you do that with plums as well as apples? Or just thinking sort of what, uh, any? Uh, can we do this with any tree? Most. Fruit trees and nut trees even are, are grafted to maintain the, the, the variety. Um, you, you can do it with other trees, you know, um, but it, it's less common to do it with trees that, that don't need to be kept um, so specifically into sort of like the varieties. But, um, yeah, it can, it can be done with anything, yeah. Cool. Yeah, and as I say, Steve, at the, uh, on the Saturday we'll have a good range of uh, apple rootstocks and pear and i think we've got some uh, st julian for anybody who's bringing in you know cherries or plums and yep. things as well so a, a good old yep. range one, one question i was going to ask you steve is many people like growing lots of varieties on one tree you know like a family tree um is that sort of feasible could you do that on the day as well could you put perhaps two or three varieties on a bit of a uh, bit of rootstock is that is that doable it, it can be done um it, it sometimes find it Varieties more frequently than the other. It, it was, it, I find it better to do that by top work, which mm-hmm. means once the tree started to grow, you wait for it to get to a certain size and then you start inserting more varieties into 
So then you you can prune it favourably to sort of to make sure that your new graft take and get and get the vigour that they need. But we can we can sometimes do it if if we've got a rootstock with with mm. branches on it, we can, we can give it a go. Excellent, oh, that's, that's good. And um, uh, Steve, I mean, obviously we, we talked a little bit about the uh, the People's Trust for Endangered Species. You're obviously you're the orchard diversity officer there how can our uh, listeners find out a bit more about the uh, about the work you do um well the the, the website on ptes.org mm-hmm. um has an ultra section um and it's, it's really quite vast there's all sorts of information on there from biodiversity and, and planning and development we've got a grant scheme for people who want to get new orchards into new trees into mm-hmm. old orchards or to create a community orchard. Um, there's also the orchardnetwork.org.uk website, which has details about um, Orchard Blossom Day and our project and uh, a regional directory uh, of services that you can find out about what, what's going on in your area. Brilliant. Thank you so much for that. So, well, I guess that brings us to a close now, but thank you so much for your time today, Steve, and we're really looking forward to seeing you at Graft and Grow Day on the 4th of February, and thanks for chatting to us today. Yep, thanks a lot. Thanks, Steve. So, on to bestsellers. Now, this is an interesting one. We've got potatoes, which I think we've done for the last... Certainly last year as well, mm. didn't we? And mm. now, now this data is only from so far this year. Yeah. Yes. So it might be a bit skewed, but yeah. mm. I, I was really interested by this, Chris. It's, yeah. Uh, so it, it, give us the lowdown of the top five potatoes. Okay, cells. so in, in, in reverse order as we normally do. So at number yeah. five, Aaron Pilot, which obviously is a, a first early. Um, yeah. So that's a lovely, lovely potato, isn't it? Good, mm. uh, good scab resistance there. At number four, we have potato desire, which is a main crop. My favourite. You like that as well. Yeah, well, it, yeah. it's just mm. a, such a reliable cropper mm. and mm-hmm. a nice flavour as well. Indeed. And, uh, yeah, a good one. And it has good uh, good drought resistance. Uh, is there such a thing? I don't know. But uh, that's yeah. what, And obviously it's got good slug resistance as well. And number three, um, no surprise here, um, again, another first early rocket. Mm. Um, yeah, that's one I tend to grow if I, if it's I can. It's a nice yeah. flavour, isn't it? Very nice, yeah. Good, yeah, good, yeah. good flavour. Yeah, uh, it's a nice waxy sort of texture to it, hasn't it, as well, and cooks well. Um, good slug resistance too. Um, number two in second place, Charlotte, okay. which uh, obviously is a salad potato. So um, mm. obviously something... So that's going to have some nice flavour. Might have to try that one. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah I've done uh, that one before. Yep. Yeah. And so, yeah, if, you, if you're chitting these on your windowsill, now is obviously a good time to, to you know, a nice, cool, light windowsill. And then number one, we've got Kestrel, which uh, obviously it's one of these uh, oval uh, blue-eyed potatoes. So, okay. yeah, um, good flavour. Um, very well, it's it's all-rounder. Yes. Well, which it should be interesting. Again, yeah. not growing that one. But, mm. yeah, uh, the other thing that I must say, mm. we've got Ratty back in. Oh, which, rashy, yes, that real I unusual. I love that as a, yeah. a, a really nice flavoured potato. But what an unusual, what an unusual potato, tuber. I mean, yeah. it's, it is amazing to look at, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. yeah it's a yeah. good one. And yeah. we've got the normal pink fur apple, which mm. is, again, another odd-shaped one. But Indeed. yeah. Yeah, I, I, I was very pleased to see Ratty's back in the yeah. shop. And for growing in pots, if you've got limited space, two really good varieties for, for pot culture, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Nice one. So, if we've done top five, that means 
You're going to give me some work to do, Chris. I'm sorry, what should Peter. I? Yeah, well, should, should we start nice and Jobs for the garden. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, obviously, the weather conditions are getting, obviously, a little bit more favourable now for planting. Um, yeah. Uh, so yeah, try and get those those uh, ornamental trees, fruit trees, and hedges in. Um, now the soil is workable, and of course now I've noticed in the in the the shot we're getting in a lot of the uh, the pre-packed uh, asparagus, uh, horseradish, artichokes, and of course the onion and garlic sets there starting yeah. to appear. So again, if you've got some cloches, you can warm the soil up. They could go in nicely. Uh, nice nice relaxing job though. If you've got a kiwi or a grapevine, now's the time to. Start pruning it. Okay. Um, whilst the sap isn't isn't flowing and the the the, the sap doesn't bleed, so yeah, yeah, which is which is good. Another nice job again. Some strawberries. Maybe get some strawberries in. Some new 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 stock. If you've got a yeah. an existing strawberry bed, might be a time to give it a revamp. Introduce some new new varieties, perhaps there. And likewise, um, you know, raspberries. You know, raspberries beds don't last forever. Um, so maybe time to you know rejuvenate those. Maybe introduce some new varieties. Plenty of new ones on the market now too to put in there too so okay. a little bit of planting certainly yep. and have you got any favorite raspberries chris well i think I, i'm quite interested about heritage that was a new one we introduced last year so i'm waiting for a crop this year i planted some okay. last year so the, the the canes are nicely tied in now so i'm just waiting for those flowers to to develop but uh, i mean autumn bliss you can't really beat autumn bliss yeah. just for its longevity of flower and uh, to enjoy fruits you know yeah. october november in the garden is great isn't it yeah, definitely i do love a raspberry mm. and strawberries to be fair yeah. i was thinking i should really redo my strawberries because they've been overtaken by the raspberries oh, as right. i grew them next to each other mm-hmm. yeah <laughs> they, they sort of got lost <laughs> indeed okay uh, brilliant good stuff okay and anything else that we need to watch out for uh, I, I guess with all these hard frosts as mm. we we're saying earlier if things don't look good is it best to chop them back or just yes. leave them? Well, if you've got things like, obviously, the, you know, the cordyline, the good old cabbage um, palms, I would leave them, Peter. I wouldn't yep. sort of chop them back until, wait until well into the spring, maybe March, April, and by which time you'll be able to sort of feel the stem. If the, st- the stem starts to feel very mushy, then you might have to cut back, especially if you've got a tall palm. I mean, I've got some sort of six, seven footers, so I'm going to follow the stems back and then get the bow saw out. And yep. then and cut across there. If you've got things like pittosporums, we've had lots of customers saying, oh, my pittosporums have been badly blackened. Again, don't touch them at the moment. Wait until you start to see some new growth in the spring and then you can trim them back then and then give them a really good good feed as well. Okay, yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, you could be a little bit careful. If you do any, any trimming back and if the weather conditions this month of February and March turn out to be, you know, cold, we get some cold snaps, which we, we could never prepare for. You don't want to be of we've been pruning things back which might then get more damage to where you've Mm. pruned back to so uh, hold on just give give the plants a little bit of time brilliant okay thanks for that chris and house plants i guess Mm. they'll start sort of taking up a bit more water again soon yeah i've I've already noticed some of my house plants are starting to grow because of the light levels are just starting to pick up now as we're into into late january february so yeah um and when do you start feeding houseplants? Well, when they start to show signs of growth. So maybe so pretty yeah. much now. Yeah, and you can start giving them a gentle feed, maybe half-strength bio or a bit of phosphorus or miracle grow just to help them along there. But yeah, you'll, you'll know where you'll see the signs. Um, yep. That would, that would be good as well. And obviously just be careful on the watering. If you're feeding, then make sure your plants are, you know, there's plenty of moisture in the soil before you add a feed because that can... can kind yeah, of you don't want to burn the roots, do you? That's true, yeah. yeah. Excellent. And I guess, well, hopefully 
we're not going to get too many hard frosts now. But the, the other thing I did notice um, the other day was the water feeders for the birds mm. have all frozen up. So Indeed. always good idea to take them a saucer of water or something out if you can't be bothered to yeah. <laughs> defrost, <laughs> defrost the the bird bath. But yeah, yeah I, I, I tend to just take a kettle out and pour some hot Sounds water. Sounds a good plan, yes. And obviously whilst you're doing that, you can top up the feeders and, uh, you know, have a clean around as well because um, yeah they can get a bit messy can't they so it's a good idea yep. to keep you know a good bit of hygiene around there as well that's it and if we get any more snow yeah i mean the usual advice is yeah um to, to, if it's on evergreens to go along with a you know a, a broom handle and just tap off tap the, the stems just to remove the weight it's the weight which causes the damage yep um i mean that's that's interesting because i say I've, I've lost quite a lot of formiums at home and of course they by their nature the leaves hold in well they hold leaves in the autumn when all the the the, uh, the leaves are dropping off the trees and also they hold snow so yep. easier said than done when you get a big downfall but uh, yeah and obviously avoid walking on the grass in in frosty weather that's that's a definite... Uh, yeah, yeah, because otherwise you get the uh, black patches. Oh, you do, you do, <laughs> yes, yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, obviously, if you've got other evergreens, if you can protect them, yeah, get a bit of horticultural fleece. Um, you know, you know, it's just worthwhile, and especially if you're buying any new plants from the garden centre. Um, we're conscious at the, at the moment that plants are coming in from nurseries, so we're we're treating them kindly and making sure they are protected and, and hardened off. Because at the end of the day, you want when you buy a plant, which is a, a hardy plant, you want to be able to plant it out with confidence. Yeah, definitely. Mm-hmm. And compost heaps. I'm making myself a new compost Are heap, you? Chris. Okay. Yeah. After the, the chat we had with um, Charles Dowding last month, mm. I thought, yeah, I really should make a new uh, compost heap. And uh, my current one is about four meters by one meter long. Okay. And it's just essentially rubbish thrown into a big pile. Um, whereas the new compost heap, I, I've took, uh, I've taken four pallets mm-hmm. and I'm going to wire them up together to make a square and hopefully mm. get some good compost. And Com- by the time that is um, matured into usable compost, I'm hoping that the current compost heap which is just a great glorious mess will have rotted down enough to to be useful (laughs) i remember what charles was saying last month about lining your your compost heap with cardboard Mm, yeah i think it was a great tip that's something i've remembered so uh, yeah well good luck with that peter well the other thing i was thinking was i might i I know up the top of the field here we've got some old um roofing sheets from mm. the previous development of the garden centre and I was thinking mm. should I put some roofing over my compost heap which will stop the rain getting on it right. but more for the fact that I can then put a water butt at the end of it can I put some oh, okay. guttering on it and uh, collect the water because one of the things with allotments and vegetable gardens mm-hmm. is having to walk I mean I'm fortunate I have a water trough about I'm going to say 10-15 metres away from the bottom of the allotment but mm-hmm. when you're having to water so much in the summer mm-hmm. having water close by is it's, always useful and I was thinking well actually it wouldn't be, be too idea. hard mm-hmm. to put a little sheet of uh, or two you know, sort of over the compost heap and collect the water from it that sounds good and of course you're keeping in the, the heat as well during the winter when you can collect your water and then of course you can remove that during the summer when obviously the temperature starts to move up and you're, you're adding material on a regular basis that's yeah, a good plan yeah, that's a good point because no, i mean the thing that amazes me my neighbor has 
You know the sort of blue shipping barrels that you oh, get. Yes. Mm-hmm. The, you know, sometimes I think you must get oil in them or something. But it, she's got about six of them down the side of her greenhouse, and she manages to fill them all up. Wow! Over the winter, mm-hmm. and then obviously over the summer, <laughs> they slow, the levels slowly go down. But yeah, I think yeah. you will. It's such a finite resource, and if it, if you can save yourself ten minutes of mm-hmm. walking up and down with heavy watering cans, it's got to be a good idea. And I suppose now is the time to get your water, but. In place really for, mm. for the summer yeah definitely the mm-hmm. excellent well thanks for all your tips and points as usual chris no thank you peter brilliant see you soon and you today's show was brought to you by buckingham garden center and nurseries the show was hosted by chris day and peter brown the show was produced by peter brown and our thanks to chilton music therapy for providing the music thanks for listening at chilton music therapy We want everyone to know the difference that music can make in their lives. From parents and their premature babies in hospital, to grandparents with dementia. We provide music therapy and community music services to people of all ages and needs across England. We work both digitally and in person in people's homes, care homes, schools, hospitals and hospices. Find out more at chilternmusictherapy.co.uk